fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. Who is this we that I speak of? Well, it is I, and I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. It is so great to be here, Dan. I am so excited that finally, the world's best superhero, as we all know, is in your background. And we've made it to get, I mean, we've had other discussions around Spider-Man, but he's finally the topic of a show. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, Denon. I have some issues with this iteration of Spider-Man, which I have to get off my chest, but not before we talk about the man with the greatest chest in the brain trust, and that is the enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, I seem to be have been pulled into some sort of alternate reality. I'm at the Statue of Liberty, but instead of her iconic torch, she seems to be holding a very patriotic shield. I don't know what's going on. I got to figure out where I am. Uh, please send help, Dan. I absolutely will. But I got to tell you, as much as I love the Statue of Liberty, that's a pretty cool Statue of Liberty with Captain America's shield. Uh, we may have to teleport ourselves there, uh, is what I'm trying to say here, guys. But I've got a beef. You know, Denny, you talked about this being the best superhero. I agree with you. Spider-Man is number one on my list. And because I'm so close to him, Denny, because he meant so much to me, I'm very possessive of him uh, and the world and the circle of friends that he had in the comic books and how that translates. And I got to tell you, as I think... Tom Holland may be the best Spider-Man that I've seen uh, in movie form, but he arguably has the dopiest, worst circle of friends <laughs> who look nothing like the, the, there's nothing like the dynamics in the comic books. Uh, Denon, you know, you're with me on, on comic books, at least. What did you think about this before I go into very quick specifics? Well, it, it's interesting, Dad, that you say I'm with you on comic books. I'm, I'm not sure where you uh, made that confusing mistake, because as is often pointed out, despite being an expert on the physics of superheroes, I rarely actually read comic books. Um, so I apologize for, for not being as educated and analytical as you. Should I stop and go right to, to Ben? Yeah, what, so, what, so what, yeah, you're, you're just going to have to skip me, Dan. I wanted your opinion. Now I don't know if I want it. So should we... Uh should we skip right along or what? What's going on here? Well, I, I just have to say, for me, it's all about Spider-Man. That's where I was going because I have not read the comic okay, books as much. Right. Um, I don't. I okay. don't feel that same bond you have for the friends and the circle of friends. Um, it, it, you enough. know, and that's all I'm saying. And and to your point, got it. I I do love Tom Holland as Spider-Man. What's interesting is I went back and because of this, watched all the other Spider-Mans with my kids who were too young to have seen some of them, and it is fascinating. There's so much to love and so much to not love in all of these Spider-Mans. <laughs> they like they never yes. quite get all the elements right, you know, but yet it's yeah. still yeah. Spider-Man. And you know me, Dan, my standards are very low. If there's Spider-Man, I love it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, you know, I mean, I, and I think I was worried about where you were going with that because... You know, you were, I didn't know if you knew enough about Spider-Man to to talk about the the circle of friends because if you just watch the movies, the dynamic is what's so great in the comic book, and I think that it, that's lost in some of these translations. Uh, but what do you think, Ben? You're I think you're with Denon as far as being you know a comic book lover. What what do you think about this? Well, I, as someone who has read Spider Verse, the Superior Spider-Man, and many other Spider books, I. I 
I agree. The MCU Spider-Man is obviously a different Spider-Man than those in the comics, but I still, I like him. Yes, his friends are dopey, especially Ned, but he's also a lot more empowered, I feel, than some of the friends from the other movie versions. Like the, you know, the Harry Osborn of the Tobey Maguire, he's like kind of too whiny and boring, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I, I'd, I'd ra- I prefer the Ned while he's dopey. At least he's trying. At least he's taking chances and not just being a rich kid like <laughs> Toby's Yeah, friend. but Harry Osborn turned into the Green Goblin. Like, is Ned's not going to turn into anything, right? You got Flash Thompson, who is... Uh, Tom Holland is easily the coolest, most built, <laughs> better, best looking of the group. And Peter Parker's not any of those things. You know, he's not supposed to be. And Flash Thompson, who in this is some scrawny... I mean, he couldn't even be a cyber bully. I mean, that's how wimpy this guy is. He's supposed to be well, like the football well, guy who threatens and, and bullies... Peter Parker, and then becomes, you know, he becomes Agent Venom and ends up taking the symbiote suit and, and starts working for the government. That's this is Flash Thompson. I, I don't even know if he'll get a job. I don't even he, know if he'll graduate MIT. He can get, Dan, he can get ripped later. That's <laughs> He's fine. He's five foot five. I, I think, so, so, Dan, I don't know why, why you he feel, you know, this challenge of people to get ripped. I mean, yeah. I, did, I, I wasn't ripped until I was almost 50. I think it's also important, though, to show that bullying isn't just I don't think football jock bullying is as big of a deal these days. You know, you can also have, you know, cyber bullying and stuff, which Flash Thompson does kind of do. He also writes this goofy book where he claims to be the best friend of Spider-Man. That's its own form of bullying. And I think or at least manipulation and lying, which is no good. I think it's kind of important to show that bullies can come in all shapes and sizes. Dan. You know, I, I kind of agree with that. And Dan, I think you're you're just expressing the core human frustration that exists with movies, yes. which is that books are always better. I mean, let's just yeah. go right to that, okay? <laughs> that if you're yeah, going to make a exactly movie right. out of a book, you always have the challenge of living up to the book. Um, and this mm-hmm. this is why many of my friends, interestingly enough, never read books and only watch movies. Uh, look, I think you're exactly <laughs> right. And don't even get me started on MJ. I, I think I'm the only person in the country who does not understand Zendaya. If you can explain why she's so good and popular, please write into the show. Uh, I'm desperate for answers because I think she's utterly terrible. Uh, but this is I'm going to say one last thing here. It's also strange to me that Dr. Strange, who cast the spell we're going to talk about, takes all of that blame and puts it on. 15, 16 year old Spider-Man. All I'm saying is, is there were a couple good things about this, but ultimately when it came to Spider-Man's circle of friends, I wanted to forget them completely. (laughs) And luckily, uh, that's what our show's about. The question that we have before us, the inspiration from this movie, guys, was if you wanted to make the world forget that you exist, how would you do that, right? I mean, that's what we're going to look at here. And I want to start off, I'm going to start off, you guys, with a quote, and I want your your reaction to this. So I did an, a fascinating nouns episode on the ephemeral nature of fame with an expert named Donald Jeffries, who talks about how fleeting fame can be. The people who we hold up on pedestals, in a generation or two, we forget who they are. This is probably one of the greatest quotes I think I've ever read in a book. So uh, be prepared. Here we go. Only a fraction of human beings really leave any kind of footprint behind them, except in the memories of their children, if they have them, or their spouses, if they die before them. Their grandchildren, if they have any, may recollect them once in a while, but a generation after their death, all but the most famous people are essentially forgotten 
by even their families. Uh, now that is depressing. So for those of you who haven't slit your wrists, uh, do understand that if you were alive and you want to forget someone, it's pretty easy. Uh, so keep that in mind then. And when you explain how you would make someone forget your, someone in the present time. Well, it's, it's an interesting question because like you said, Dan, some of us like the brain trust here are hard to forget, but that's rare, right? M most people are easy to forget. Um, and if we wanted to do that, you know, it's, it's an interesting question in a different way. So you raised the question, if we wanted to make everybody forget someone and forget ourselves, how would we do it? And I would argue there's interesting infrastructure now, the fact that we've built Wi-Fi and cell phone towers everywhere. We have an underlying infrastructure to do this. But I do think we also want to ask the question, you know, which I know is Ben's burning question. So I hate to take this from you, Ben, but I'll let you answer it is mm -hmm. why go all that way? Because usually we don't want people to forget us. We just want them to forget the stupid thing we did or the mistake. And in this case, <laughs> right. all Spider-Man wanted people to do was forget that he was Spider-Man. So you, there's really two levels to this question, um, Dan, that I think are very deep. But I will just say to start the conversation off, I think the infrastructure is there and then we can move from that to the next level. Well, it's really interesting. You know, we all have, we've talked about this before in the Neuralizer episode from Men in Black, where what would be our embarrassing moment? And obviously Spider-Man's, well, I don't know, is it an embarrassing moment that he's Peter Parker? Maybe, maybe he's embarrassed about being Peter Parker. But <laughs> I, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's important to think about that there are, there are there are little things that we want forgotten, not not necessarily big things. We don't want to be forgotten as a person. We want our foibles, our mistakes forgotten. And that can just come down to, one, not putting those foibles on YouTube like we put our great show on YouTube. You know, we'll never be forgotten. We're going to be on there permanently. So <laughs> right. check us out on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> Please. So, but also it's all about minimizing that stuff. You know, things are forgotten if you don't talk about them, if you don't acknowledge them. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first step. You got to you got to downplay and you got to not bring it up. You don't want to Streisand effect your things, which is when you complain about people talking about it and then people talk about it even more. Well, and, and I do have another point here, Dan, that's very important. If you do think you might at some point want to be forgotten, you better not put your picture on a mug. Oh, that's um, the worst thing to do. Because, you know, everybody uses coffee mugs and everybody wants coffee mugs with cool people on them. So I'm just going to say that there. That, that's a great question. And the other thing you want to do if you don't want to be forgotten, everyone knows they love quotes, right? Quotes are easily remembered, more rememberable than the person who said it. And if you say something brilliant like biology is nature's technology, definitely don't put it on a shirt that you can buy at the FGGBT merch store because then it's going to be on there forever because we all know shirts are made out of plastic and plastic is going to outlive us all. Uh, so that's that's what I have to say about that. And you definitely don't want to put your logos on durable stainless steel water bottles that will definitely last forever because yep. Yeah, you definitely can't be forgotten <laughs> under that situation. Without question. And, and we do always need water. <laughs> we're we're going to need it, especially in the future. Uh, you know, it's, but one of the things that I think is kind of in this in this movie, the thing that's kind of tricky is, you know, Doctor Strange is creating this spell that's supposed to make everyone forget who Peter Parker is. And then Peter Parker realizes that he wants to keep certain people who knew he was Spider-Man 
in that, you know, from keep them from forgetting that he was that he was Spider-Man. And it's this altering of that spell which causes the problem in the world. Uh, but this raises a couple of interesting questions here. Is number one, how would you keep you know certain people or one or two people from forgetting that and then what kind of problem would that cause i mean how what are our memories tied to you know tied to individual people is there a mass effect that that's kind of a tricky tricky uh wick, tricky wicked i think then well i think you know let's take back you know a step from the spell perspective right because the spell really is just symbolic of the energy being used to enter into the cell phone towers and wi-fi to affect people's brains so what we're really talking about from one perspective here right is a signal that you can send into the brain that alters the brain chemistry at a fundamental sort of quantum level, because chemistry is basically quantum mechanics, that changes what your memory structure is. And as we've discussed, you know, Ben mentioned we've had our Neuralizer episode. We've had a lot of episodes about memory and how kind of frustrating and poor memory can be. It can be hard to keep memory. It's not very stable in the brain. So I would argue that sending a signal to erase it is probably the easiest step. And then to your question, Dan, of how do you protect people? You know, if I was doing this with technology and and building that into my spell, quote unquote, um, the spell would send out a signal, as I mentioned, through the cell towers. It would overlay it, a phone call to the key people that I wanted them to remember. And by them answering their phone, that rate, that particular signal would override the memory effect, you know, the memory erasing signal. And so I do think very scarily, there's a weird infrastructure here that gives us an ability to think about how this spell would actually work on human memory through the cell phone system. And now I'm getting myself really scared as to what the government has made me forget. Well, couldn't you use, I mean, this isn't this where tinfoil hats come into play? Couldn't you just tell someone, couldn't you line your hat with tinfoil and protect yourself from these, these memory deleting powers, you know, the Wi-Fi? In principle, yes, but I'm thinking of the specific case of no one knows I'm making the spell and I've got to uh, include a signal in the spell to warn the people who need to be protected. Well, you mentioned the government. I assume they were deleting people's memories willy-nilly. So if you want to do them up oh, yeah, for the government, you need the kid for Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's why you got to live your life inside of a Faraday cage so these <laughs> brain-erasing <laughs> signals can't get to you no matter what you're doing. Uh, of course, how you get to the Wi-Fi to watch uh, your YouTube videos, you know, then you got a problem with that. (laughs) Yeah, you you can't watch the show if you're stuck in a Faraday cage. Uh, You know, but this this kind of made me think about if you start deleting memories, right, there's a ripple effect that can happen. And I started to think to myself, if you could literally pluck them out of people's heads, were there would there be an echo, right? Like when you erase something from a hard drive, that information is still on the hard drive. It's just the computer can't read it properly, but it's still there. The echo of all that information, of all that stuff you tried to delete, it's still on your hard drive. And there's a thing called the Mandela effect, which I think is a fascinating concept. Uh, and for those of you who are unfamiliar, this is basically a belief that s- uh, something happened that never really happened. It, you know, it's a cultural phenomenon. And some people call it, you know, mass, uh, uh, it's called uh, collective false memories, you know. And the classic example uh, is the the Berenstain Bears. You know, uh, Denon, I asked you uh, what you thought the, the bears were called, the, you know, that, that lovable kids book. I grew up as the Berenstain Bears. Ben, I think you did as well. Uh, it's actually the Berenstain Bears. When I heard that, I happened to have a Berenstain 
Berenstain book. Uh, and I looked and sure enough, it's Berenstain. But in my head, it's Berenstain. Uh, so I don't know if this is proof of anything, but the Mandela effect it's real. Well, I do want to just clarify that I'm a, an additional outlier. I agree with you that I remembered it as Berenstein, but I couldn't pronounce that when you asked me. So I have a double Mandela effect going on in my head. I don't know what that means, Dan, but I just wanted to make sure the audience understood what, what a special person I was. Sure, sure. That's important. Uh, well, and I think that this is, you know, there's a couple, you also mentioned this other movie called Yesterday. Uh, you know, as the master of film and television, I got to review all this stuff. I watched uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is another movie about how deleting memories, it has a strange ripple effect. In the movie Yesterday, there's one guy uh, who's the only person in the world through some weird event is the only person in the world who remembers that the Beatles existed. Now, could you imagine if you lived in that world, what could you do with that information? And what would it be like to be that person who remembered and the rest of the world forgot? You know, uh, that to me, I think was was really I, I was really curious, like, what would that be like? That's what came into my mind. Well, you know, obviously, and the movie shows that you could have the potential for awe-inspiring power. But I also want to answer your other question a little bit, Dan, about ripple effects. You know, one of the things I've noticed, as we all know, I am a professor of physics in addition to doing this wonderful show. And one of the fascinating things I, I, I've always sort of noticed about college students is how much of what we learn in grade school and high school we forget, but we remember it exists. Mm -hmm. So an interesting <laughs> sort of question. Yeah, no, it's you true. You're, yeah, you're, it's funny. And I'll give you a great example. Most students get to college and remember trig functions exist, yep. but don't remember anything really about them. So could right? mm -hmm. But yeah, they may remember that. They may remember, there's even a lot of really important trig identities in physics. And if you were forced to memorize these in your high school, you know they exist. If you never memorized them, you don't know what I'm talking about. And this is actually important because if you want to Google something, you need to know it exists. It's a fascinating <laughs> thing about Google. You yeah, can't right. Google something if you have no clue that it's there. And so right. one thing I would love to see in a sequel is a, a movie in Spider-Man where everyone's forgotten that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, but they all remember that they knew something about Spider-Man. They just don't know what it is. <laughs> right. It's a weird thought, you know? What's interesting about it is this this concept of echoes. Mm -hmm. I, I, I recently, I and unfortunately, I don't remember what I was thinking about, but I remember mm. recently a, re, a memory being recalled, like, like either a movie I'd seen or something, like remembering the plot and being like, oh, yeah, that's what happened in that movie. Mm -hmm. But if you had asked me unprompted what had happened in that movie, right. I could have never done it. And so there's these things where even when your, your brain loses the way to access that memory, the connections that have it make sense are still there. Mm -hmm. And so what's really interesting about this Spider-Man thing is – after, spoiler, after at the end when his the memory of him is in fact erased, you have to wonder, could he, would that like connection still be there? If he had gone into the coffee shop and said, by the way, I'm Spider-Man and also my name's Peter Parker, don't you remember? Would that have triggered something in Mary Jane, or not Mary Jane, in MJ's, here I It's not Mary Jane. It's, it's, not, it Mary it's Jane. not Mary Jane. It, yeah, it's Melissa Jones, Michelle. right? Michelle. <laughs> Michelle, Michelle. Close See, the memory's been yes. erased, Dan. 
Yeah, not the memory exactly. of that stupid name that's not Mary Jane, but yes, I wish that yeah, was well, uh, No one names their kid Mary Jane anymore, Dan. It makes sense. It's a modern movie. <laughs> oh, you're such uh, an apologist. You're such a Spider-Man apologist. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous, uh, Ben. Uh, anyway, the, the point is, I, I could imagine this, our, our memories work in that way where you could still make that connection and that connection would kind of be kind of prompted and ready to go, even though you couldn't make it yourself unaided. Well, that's what I was saying about the hard drive, right? Like that stuff is still there. You just, it's the connections aren't. And are those connections easy to, you know, reestablish? Yeah, right. And that's the, with hard drives, it's fascinating because a hard drive, when you erase something on a hard drive, you don't actually erase the memory. What technically physically happens is you delete the pointer to it Mm -hmm. and it takes potentially a very long time for that memory to be overridden. And I think in a lot of ways, our brains are like that too. We, we unfortunately still don't really understand exactly how they work, but we know internally that when we have our memory jogged, a lot of stuff does come back, even though we couldn't have recalled that information unaided. And I want to go to something else Ben had said, Dan, you know, Mm -hmm. he pointed out that part of this is propaganda, which sounds like a mean thing to do, but it is also just sort of simple storytelling. I can't tell you how many times my kids have pointed out when I tell a story about something, particularly something they were involved in, they're like, that's not the story you told us five years ago, dad, you've changed it. Right. Right. (laughs) Right? So we are constantly through our storytelling ability, rewriting our own memories and other people's memories. So I'm really worried, like how much of my childhood actually happened the way my brain thinks it did. Um, Mm -hmm. And how much of it is, you know, it's a little cooler if I make the story this way. And then I tell my kids that story about my youth enough. Maybe I never delivered newspapers in the snow. I distinctly remember it. But perhaps that, you know, (laughs) never actually happened. Um, And and I possibly did not walk uphill to school both directions. (laughs) Right. Like that's just I don't know. (laughs) While while delivering papers on your paper route. (laughs) But you also have to wonder are you maybe telling the story the exact same way? It's your your children who are misremembering the story you told them. <laughs> well, it's crazy. I will tell you this about paper routes, Denon. Uh, so I remember one of the coolest gifts I ever received was from the 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 paper route. The guy who ran it was a small uh, Joliet newspaper, uh, which is south of Chicago, right? So it's small town, right. small town newspaper. Uh, but I remember getting because it was yeah, in Chicago, freezing cold. I got this packet of liquid, okay, with this little metal disc inside. And I remember I, I had no idea what it was. I was nine or ten, right? And I clicked it. You guys may know what, where I'm going with this. Yeah. And it just created an exothermic reaction. Uh, it became a super hot warming pad for my hands. So when you're out, you know, deliver newspaper. Yeah. It was the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. Now they have disposable ones. This one you just boiled and you could reuse <laughs> it. I loved it. I remember that distinctly. I remember where I kept it. I even remember having a box of plastic bags you put the newspapers in. I remember the, the route being gigantic, and I remember my mom helping me with it, but I cannot once tell you that I ever went on this route and delivered a newspaper. I cannot, I don't have a single memory of delivering a newspaper, but I do sometimes, guys, wake up in the middle of the night terrified that I have not finished my paper route. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I don't know if I repressed the memory, which is another form of memory deletion. Uh, I don't know what went on, but that really reminded me of it. And it's scary how this works, Denon. Well, I think this goes to your fundamental question. Re- Adjusting memories is probably going to be something we achieve sooner than erasing people from the internet. Um, Mm -hmm. And Ben's comment earlier about getting on YouTube, 
I think the problem with the spell, again, technologically, interestingly enough, by going to a digital world, right, the same underlying infrastructure for this spell, which is basically electrical to interfere with, you know, the systems to interfere with the brain is there. But I think the much harder thing is to track down and erase everything on the internet. Um, Because once you've forgotten Peter Parker is Spider-Man, if you come across it again, and the appropriate propaganda uh, method that Ben has described has not been put in place, Mm -hmm. suddenly you will re-remember that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And that's Mm -hmm. an interesting challenge. Yeah. Well, but what's also interesting there is we, we should think about the source of this spell, right? It wasn't for erasing the knowledge of a superhero's identity. It was for erasing the memory of a party that went too crazy. Or at least that was the last time Doctor Strange had used it. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you have to think about the, the, these sorts of things. Like, what is this spell used for? And it was to make people forget about all the crazy bad things they may have done at this party. Mm-hmm. And then I have to wonder, well, people must have taken cell phone videos of this party. So clearly the spell is capable of erasing cell phone videos of a a party that went too crazy. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I I did love that he used it for something so small and doesn't think that making it big is not going to destroy the universe. Uh, It's it's that whole the spell thing is kind of that could be huge. We don't know how big this party was. You know, you're right. You're absolutely right. And it's more people that that, well, maybe not more people that to forget. But yeah, you're right. It is kind of strange. Um, The other thing I want to talk about here really quickly, because I want to I want to go with what you're saying. They're about digital. I want to switch it over to an analog deletion, which could be done. Um, But, you know, when I was watching Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, it, it's I know we, this is kind of about memories. It's kind of not. But what I love about that and the movie yesterday is that when these memories are plucked out, something has to fill that vacuum. Right. Like in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, you have basically all of the thoughts of this girl are connected to emotion and you delete them. But then there's just there's weird, strange, just empty memories in your head that your brain then has to try to you know go over and fix. In in yesterday, uh, the Beatles don't exist, so Oasis doesn't exist, and the main character's first song was an Oasis song. So once you lose the thing that inspired the other thing, it's this huge ripple effect that's very, very, very odd. And you know. I, 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 I love the idea that when you become aware of this in Eternal Sunshine, you combine them with other memories so they don't get deleted. And then that only exacerbates the problem of having memories that are now completely altered from what they were initially containing people that didn't exist. Uh, I just thought it was such a strange way that the the brain fights back, guys. It's a biological entity that fights back to fill these vacuums. So even with the spell that would make the world forget, as you guys are saying, that these little bits that would want to reach out to connect to the things that they used to connect to, you know, and make that memory what it used to be. Well, I think you're exactly right, Dan. And it made me, it makes me remember a part that I found a little confusing, right, is exactly what does it mean to erase this memory? Um, you know, we, we know... He really just wants people to forget that he was Spider-Man. And and Doctor Strange says, look, the only way the spell works is everybody going to have to forget who you are, which is, uh, you know, a whole nother question. But it does mean, you know, we see that he walks in at the end. The past has not been changed. And so MJ and Ned are still friends. But I feel like if I take the movie seriously, the other two, they only really became friends through Peter Parker being Spider-Man and knowing Peter Parker. So Mm -hmm. what memory is in their head about how they met Mm -hmm. if they don't remember Peter Parker, right? So there's clearly 
a, a memory that had to replace that there that we don't get to see because obviously at this point the movie's over. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, it does raise that interesting question. Yeah. Well, maybe they became friends because the the kid Peter Parker, who was in their class, disappeared suddenly, <laughs> and they mourned together <laughs> the loss of their uh, acquaintance. <laughs> well, it is a world where everyone got used to the snap, right? Where half the people disappeared yeah. suddenly. So if you wake up one morning and and there's a person missing. Um, even if you don't remember who they are, maybe you just feel like, okay, yeah, there was another snap and it was a snap of one. We're good. <laughs> snap of one. Well, it is interesting because, yeah, how how close are people? Like who would, you know, does May forget that she has, uh, you know, a nephew or, or you know. Well, uh, I hate to bring up a sad point, Dan, but May is dead. Well, but she may not be a Peter Parker. Well, I guess she did. Okay. Well, forget the time travel thing. We can't, we can't do all this at once. Uh, but yeah, but it's, you know, but she's close to him. There's got to be other people. Well, I guess he doesn't have anyone close to him. All right, I'm going to move on here because I'm, I'm confusing myself. Moving right along. You know, I talked about the analog questions. This is what I thought was kind of interesting because if you go back in time, you know, erasing somebody was pretty easy. You know, that we had a pretty, you know, our espionage game was pretty strong in the Cold War and you would find people, you know, without these connections, you know, with a May who died or a May who doesn't exist, right? Peter Parker <laughs> might be a great candidate. Um, you know, you don't have a lot of these familial connections and maybe you're just on, you know, the grid with a social security number that's in a piece of paper in a file someplace that you can just burn, uh, you know, it was a lot easier. It's, you know, the people are in witness protection program, right? I mean, we do, we can hide people and make, we can disappear people. Uh, you can't make people forget, but maybe in this world, that might be the next best thing. Well, I think that I really like this question, Dan, because for me, when you go to the digital record or the paper record, I'm a little torn in on the fence, sort of which is harder to totally erase. Um, you know, we've talked about it's hard to completely erase a hard drive. So there is a sense that digital, first of all, it's more ubiquitous. It's everywhere. But but digital is also searchable. So in principle, you might find all the records in a way that analog isn't. Um, obviously, the analog records you find, you're right, you just burn them um, and they're gone. But it does make me wonder, you know, if there's a picture out there or a record that you're not aware of, how does that mess with erasing your identity if you just can't find it because it's not searchable? Mm -hmm. So I really see very different challenges in the two spaces. Um, but in general, I'm going to side with you, Dan, that yes, in a non-digital world, it's probably easier to erase records. That's interesting because I think in some ways it also isn't. Because if you think about how records were before the digital revolution, yeah, you can go and you know, burn some paper, but how do you even find that paper in the first place? You know, we, we forget how difficult it was to catalog and find things back, you know, before there were searchable databases and things like that. You know, if you had to find a book, you know, 30 years ago, you had to like use the Dewey Decimal System and go through the card catalogs and all this stuff. Write down the number, you had to look it up, write down the, the 17 digit number. Yeah. 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 And if you think about what it's like now where you can just type a subject and Google figures out what you need. Yeah. You, it's hard to delete the record, but at least you can find the record. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think we we in our modern easy to find information world, we forget how hard it was to find information back in the day. And think about how we find stone tablets from thousands of years ago and learn about new things. You wouldn't even know to destroy that tablet 
because uh, you don't even know it exists. <laughs> right. Well, and I've got a great example of that in the bureaucracy that is our government. Uh, I'm trying to get some records uh, for my grandfather. And, you know, uh, they're difficult to find. I knew he got them in the 2000s. Right. But they're records from his army service in World War II, 1947. We're talking about 80 year old records. Right. Uh, and it turns out that the last name is spelled incorrectly. There's a letter that's off that I happen to notice on the on the original ones from 1947, which may be why the government's saying that he doesn't exist or they can't find the records, right? And so what that says is simple, as you mentioned, Ben, the simple a spelling error can, can delete somebody. <laughs> you know, if you can't find it, yeah. it doesn't exist. And that could be just enough to, to get rid of somebody, as weird as that sounds. So it's not only is it not as difficult as you think, it's probably way more common than you think. Well, also, Dan, on the flip side, I, I do want to point out another personal story on my side of records that are out there in the world that I don't even know where they are. Um, my brother and I, when we were much younger, visited Disneyland together um, pre-cell phones, so we didn't have any cameras. We wanted a photographic record of our, our visit, so we we were the creepy people standing behind people having pictures taken on the theory that at least somebody would have a memory of us being at Disneyland. Um, yeah. It would not be us, but somewhere in, in a family album, there is proof that my brother and I were together um, at Disneyland. And so if one of us tried to disappear or claim we didn't exist, um, there would be an interesting record if the right person knew where to track it, you know, track down those photos of us. Well, you you, you yeah. probably invented the photobomb, which is great, right? I mean, that, we found <laughs> the inventor of the photobomb. But number two, you could delete that because all you have to do is find the negatives, you know, grab a match, and that's the end of your connection to your brother. Unless they've loaded them onto the internet in this day and age. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly the thing. Like, you, you and, and you don't even know because... Who are all these people who you photobombed? How many of them have digitized their photo albums, mm -hmm. but you don't know about it because it's on their private, you know, Google Drive or Apple Pictures Drive? <laughs> yeah, it, it is unfathomable how hard it is to find these kinds of pieces of data anymore because there's things can spread so much. And, you know, an ar a digital archaeologist, you know, 300 years from now who's going through the remnants of iCloud you know, finds this picture of you <laughs> at Disneyland and goes, ah, it, ah, here's, you know, the famous ancient aliens guy. Look, at, look, he went to Disneyland. <laughs> he was right there. There he is. We have, we have evidence of the uh, archaeologist, Dr. Michael Dennett. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're on the archaeological record, I mean, that is pretty impressive. Uh, but I've got a question for you guys. I've got a thought experiment that's inspired by obviously one you've probably heard about, but all of this makes me wonder that does someone exist if no one knows who they are. Well, we've established, right, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, it does make a sound. Um, well, no, it doesn't make a sound. Well, no, it does. Or it, does, it doesn't. No. I don't know. I thought we agreed it did. Anyway. No. Well, that, that's important because I remember arguing with my teacher. Uh, this is not a false memory because I said, of course, it makes a sound. And the answer is no, it doesn't make a sound because if there's no one to hear it, there is no interpretation of the air molecules moving around into a sound. Uh, so that, that was the argument that I was given. But you, I mean, you're a, you definitely are a better scientific pedigree than, the, than be, my biology teacher in high school. Precise. When a tree falls in the forest, a pressure wave is created. Uh, so, right. yeah, we'll sure. use the engineering definition. <laughs> yeah, but that's not, is that a sound? If it's not a sound, if it's not interpreted. We're getting away from what I I'm wanted to talk about. I'm just saying a pressure about. wave is created, Dan. But that's not a sound. 
No, well, so, so Dan, I bring that up to point out to how hard your what, question this, is. This propaganda to get us all fighting and arguing. We got to get right. to the bottom of this, Denon. Well, so I just wanted to bring that up to point out how hard it is to even just answer the question about something that isn't so personal, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so, yes, to, to ask the question if... So wait, I, I want the question again, Dan, because I'm going to get very technical on you. Is it if no one knows who you are, did you never exist? Or if no one knows who you are, do you not exist now? Well, I didn't give it as much thought. I didn't think it was going to be nitpicked by future generations. If I'm going on record, that's never going to be erased as we've already established. Uh, all right, let me read it as I wrote it, and I, I will stick by it. Um, so I said, does someone exist if no one knows who they are? Would someone exist if no one knows who they are? So, so, so probably clearly not, because if no one knows who you are, that means your mother doesn't know who you are, which means you were never born. So I, I would claim, yes, logically, if no one knows who you are, you can't exist. Um, I do think it, it, there's an interesting analogy to the sound here. Do we exist because we know who we are? Or do we exist because others interpret who we are, Dan? I'm, I'm going to quote your mm-hmm. answer here. I'm glad I asked my sound question because mm-hmm. it gives me some, you know, information to use. Um, and I do think, right, that all we know is that something exists. I go back to my statement. You know, the, the famous philosopher Descartes tried to claim, I think, therefore I am. Mm-hmm. That would say you exist even if people don't know who you are. I simply claim I think therefore something is because I could be a video game. So it's very possible <laughs> I don't exist unless other people validate my existence. So I'm going sure. that way. Um, it was a very long-winded roundabout um, mm-hmm. answer through the forest where the trees were falling down. Yep. Yep. Um, but I, I avoided all the trees and I'm still here to answer the question. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I, I think we need to go a little more, I think modern, I think Schrodinger uh, is newer than Descartes. Uh, oh, where that's a physics you, where you have, <laughs> <laughs> oh. it's, I don't know, it's a physics, it's just a statement of the timeline, sure, I think. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, but I think they, therefore uh, Schrodinger is, uh, more modern than Descartes. Uh, <laughs> so, but you have to ask the question because it, it's kind of a quantum thing, mm-hmm. right? Can you observe yourself as a quantum thing when it comes to, you know, can the cat observe itself and determine if it's dead or alive to itself? Um, and I think that's that's the thing. Like, obviously, if a person can observe themselves from a quantum perspective, then they must exist because they're observing. Um, <laughs> and so then you have the question of, is existence knowing that you personally exist or is it that somebody else knows you exist? And I think that's kind of a more co- philosophical question rather than a physical question. Can I, well, let me, let me ask this. So I'm curious if you can observe yourself because then I have to ask what came first, the observer or the observed? Denon. Well, I think it was actually the egg, not the chicken. Oh, wait, what was the question? <laughs> well, here, here's what I think we can decide here. You know, I think that the Spider-Man universe, if they're going to make everyone forget, uh, I think we have a we're you're missing an opportunity if you don't make them forget all of his dopey circle of friends. Here's your opportunity to reset <laughs> the Spider-Man universe. Uh, I, I think you're missing something here. Uh, but if we've missed anything else that you guys wanted to talk about, this is the place for it. This is our errors, additions and omissions section. Things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about No Way Home, memories, Descartes, trees dropping, or anything you want to talk about that we didn't quite get to? So I, I have two things, Dan. One is a memory thing. 
Um, as we talked about the the malfunction of memory in our Hawkeye episode, I had a malfunction of memory. Um, I really intended in errors and additions to point out the close connection between Bo from She-Ra, Princess of Power, mm-hmm. and Hawkeye, um, and and was reminded of Ben's love of Bo's engineering of arrows, um, and just just the beauty of engineered arrows across all genres, whether it's She-Ra or the Avengers, mm-hmm. really is a constant of nature. I think that is going to be a, a new law of physics as we move forward. So that was a failure of my memory, but it's come back, and so I wanted to share that here. Beautiful. I, I also do want to say, I know you were focused on the circle of friends. Singularly focused, Denon. You could almost say singularly yeah. focused. Yeah. Singularly focused. Yeah. I have to admit, in this movie... I actually really enjoyed the three Spider-Mans interacting with each other. I know there's probably mixed opinions on that. People have different views. But as I said, the one consistent thing I love is Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man in all the movies, even though they're very different. Mm -hmm. And I just loved kind of this this sharing of tragedy and triumph and just the fact that Spider-Man is basically a scientist – who becomes cool by being bitten by a spider. I mean, it's just it's just the fundamental core human story that we all love. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I could not agree with you more about everything. Uh, what about you, Ben? Anything we didn't get to that you want to talk about? Well, I, I think I got to take a little issue with what Dan just said. And I think Spider-Man is clearly an engineer, not a scientist <laughs> in this in this film. Yeah, that's true. You know, he's he's creating all these devices. He's I mean, he's doing research, too. But I think it's more of a an engineering problem of taking the electricity out of uh, Electro or replacing the microchip on uh, the inhibitor chip on Doc Ock's tentacles. That seems to me more of an engineering problem. And I just love how yet again, the engineer is the hero of a Marvel movie uh, in saving all these uh, these bad guys from themselves. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, I've got a couple things I want to talk about, but I'm going to do something startling to both the both the both of you. Is that right? The both of you, both of you. Yes, both of you. Uh, <laughs> it's more startling than a sentence to me, apparently. And that is a correction. You know, we talked about the movie The Mask. I, I said Stanley Stinko. It's actually Stanley Ipkiss. I don't know how I could forget that, but that's probably one of the funniest names in cinematic history. So that's a quick correction. Uh, in addition, here, you know, one thing is consistent in the Spider-Man world. And that is J. Jonah Jameson. I mean, who doesn't love uh, J. Jonah Jameson? I love it's the, it's the same actor, the same character. He's so good at that. And I love that he goes from being, he does that, the Alex Jones internet troll kind of thing where he starts out in his living room with all these weird conspiracies on his wall and then becomes this driving force of misinformation in the Marvel Universe. Uh, I think it's kind of funny. And he does such a great job. You know, that's, we didn't get to him, but my memory of him is strong and hopefully it will last forever. Uh, but if there's anything that we missed even with all these errors additions and omissions you know you can get in touch with the show it's pretty easy to do you can find the show on social media at FGGBTPod on Twitter at FGGBT on Facebook but you can get in touch with us individually Denon where can people find you? Well people can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Denon Michael I'm just flip my name and then on Facebook um, at Prof Denon Michael Um, unclear which of these will last forever Mm-hmm. Um, so just check them all. It's great work. That's a great idea. What about you, Ben? Where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B S I E P S E R. 
And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you want to get in touch with the show, send us your question, correspondence, general inquiry. Questions at FGGBT.com is the way to do that. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you rate and review. And of course, check that you're subscribed. And if, you, if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode and you help us out against that YouTube algorithm. I love that it's against the YouTube algorithm. We must join forces to fight the YouTube algorithm and make it make it favorable to FGGBT. Because if you don't, we've given you lots of information here that could be misused by those hell-bent on world domination like YouTube, like the YouTube algorithm. So remember, use it wisely, use it well. Always make that choice. You want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.